Listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Ben Steiner, Peter Galindo, and Alexander Gonge Ruzic. Hey there, and welcome, folks, back into the Northern Football Podcast for episode 108, and a little bit sooner than we were expecting to record episode 108 as well. Peter, Alex, Ben, alongside with you today because Canadian soccer is having a day again. Ugh. Well, first of all, can I just say? Selfishly, I'm a little happy this story happened, not because of obviously the lasting ramifications, but because I have a very dumb 11 p.m. kickoff for a seven aside game. And I thought to myself, I'm going to have nothing to do for the next few hours. And then Canada soccer and its national teams just dropped this right into our lap. So I guess the timing couldn't have come any better. Of course, the national team, the Canadian women's national team, releasing a statement earlier this evening saying that they were going on strike, pushing against the Canadian Soccer Association uh, in terms of the financial benefits that the Canadian women's national team gets, as well as funding cuts to both training schedules, training opportunities, uh, how many players you can call into a camp, as well as the youth national teams. The men's national team then releasing a statement backing up the Canadian women's national team in Canada soccer responding about an hour later saying that they've always supported women's soccer in this country. Also saying that they're going to be giving a retroactive payment to the Canadian women's national team, which CBC sports is reporting is around $1.7 million. And the leadership from Canada soccer will also be heading down to Orlando to negotiate with the Canadian women's national team, which as Christine Sinclair said to TSN is refusing to play in the she believes cup. Yeah, uh, certainly a lot to, to process here on uh, what was supposed to be a rather straightforward Friday uh, in February. She believes Cup coming up. Mm-hmm. A U-17 uh, men's tournament starts tomorrow also. Literally tomorrow afternoon. So that also can't, you know, can, cannot be positive considering how the youth teams are implicated uh, in all this. But obviously a, a big time for the, the women's team in a World Cup year, a crucial World Cup year because... As defending Olympic gold medalists, they have a chance to legitimately go and win the World Cup. Certainly have a chance of being favorites, but it's hard to be favorites when they uh, come out with the statement saying that their team is not being adequately funded, that they're not having uh, the, the, the amount of training that they, they need and, and want, that they're having training sessions cut, that they have players from their rosters like not able to come due to that they can't afford to have all these players. There's not going to be any home games in Canada uh, ahead of the World Cup, so no chance to really drum up interest with a send-off friendly of, of some sorts. All of those things uh, in the statement certainly leads one to to, to pause and, and take a minute to like, well, to, to, again, for a country supposedly first first world, first rate, uh, to, to have this soccer team, its marquee soccer team, come out with statements that its men's team also then supported. It, it was a lot to, to process. I mean, look, we're going to get into everything about this from the men calling out a minor league quote-unquote cpl um in their statement rather unfairly i might add but we'll get into that to everything in between but i i just need to get some stuff off my chest first before we dive into everything as fairly and as unbiased as we possibly can on this show i am exhausted sick and tired whatever you want to describe it as, of Canada soccer 
and its players, everybody associated with it, all the way down to the youth clubs and everybody associated with it, not being able to get out of their own way, not taking responsibility for their actions, because guys, it takes two to tango. The reason we're here is because of a variety of factors, right? Like it's not just a one-sided thing here as we're gonna get into. And the fact that this continues to happen, it, it, it affected the men's success in the 90s. It's probably held back the women from moving forward a lot more certainly than they should have based on the success they've been able to have over the last decade, decade and a half. Uh, it, the whole thing just tires me out. And, and I really, and I've been hoping this for what now feels like decades, but I really hope that one day we, we don't feel like this anymore, to be honest, because I think I speak for everybody listening, because the three of us are diehard fans of Canadian soccer. We want to see it succeed. I think the players are entirely dedicated and committed to playing for their country, and they love playing for their country more than I think we've ever seen before. The fans are engaged. I hope that at least a sizable amount of the board members and people in power within Canadian soccer feel the same way, but sometimes it really does not feel like we're all pulling in the same direction and it really does exhaust me it's sad because this isn't the first time it's happened so we can't sit here and act no, surprised we, no. we can't act like this is something we haven't seen before that's for, why it exhausts me for, forget last year <laughs> i mean the, what 2008 you got you know whatever year the bmo field the uh, sack the csa shirts were worn you yeah. go back decades like this isn't new and that's that's what's sad about all this is that you look at the men's team making a World Cup, you look at the women's team and what they've accomplished. This is a time where people are t starting to take soccer seriously in this country. There's people that want to watch local soccer. The local soccer is healthy and it's it's just unfortunate again that we're, we're in a place like this because it feels like, you know, it's, it's the reality is that again, you see that there's progress being made towards becoming the quote unquote soccer country that we all desire to be. Uh, but also as days like day, today show, it shows that we cannot be a soccer country just because there's so many, uh, you know, hurdles that, that have to be cleared for, for that to happen. And I guess that's what's the most unfortunate because five, ten years ago, this happens. It's again, it's just another day uh, of Canadian soccer. As some have aptly reflected with some some memes and other posts out there. But uh, so today when there's legitimate growth and legitimate, you know, future to look forward to that's what's unfortunate but i guess on the other side if you're going to go glass half full this could also hopefully be the start again we said that many a time but hopefully it can be so the, start of, said the start of uh something new but hey the issues from june haven't gone away so until mm. those happen until that happens of course we cannot be looking towards a fresh start i mean it's not even just a national team issue it's not even just a professional issue you can look back at late June and nearly thousands of kids being sidelined in BC because yep. of a voting structure issue. That's and right. as you said, Canada soccer and the organizations within it, whether that's the youth organizations, the provincial organizations, yep. the local organizations, yep. they just can't keep tripping upon themselves and making these mistakes because you're holding everything back from the national teams to youth soccer. Yeah. And I, I feel like at times too, and I remember having conversations with people in Vancouver about this, like, you know, fellow media members, what have you. And we were saying like, listen, I feel like a lot of the times these technical directors and these and these coaches who get paid pretty handsome sums of money to coach youth soccer are really only in it for the cash and don't honestly care about the development of Canadian players and whatnot. And that is totally true. Um, so frankly, it's it, it does honestly trickle all the way down from the Federation to the, the local youth scene. And we'll get into your questions now. And kind of funny thing is it's quite the Friday news dump in terms of Canadian politics, Canadian sport, because John Tory in the middle of our podcast recording 
just resigned as mayor of Toronto. So there's that. We're not a political podcast. We're not going to get into that. Feel free to search it up on Twitter or online. Uh, but we'll get into your listener questions. And from wsoccer.ca, if you're the CSA, how would you explain the CSB deal to the women's team in a way that they can all get behind? What are the women actually getting out of it? See, this is the crux of the whole thing. Because I think if there's one party that isn't entirely blameless here, it would be the women. Because when you look at when the CSB deal was signed, why it was signed, why CSB even became an entity in the first place, why the CPL came to be in the first place was, the Federation was entirely focused from the looks of it on developing the men's game, right? That's why the CSB deal was signed. It was basically all contingent upon the men's team success leading up to 2026. The women didn't seem to factor into all of that. I could be wrong, but that's what it read like when you read the initial agreement, why it was signed, etc. So I think there really isn't a justifiable way to say, hey, what are the women getting out of this? Because you look at the breakdown of the, of the financial statement over the last few years, and from 2018 to 2021, quote unquote, commercial and other fees for Canada soccer grew from 5.9 million in 2018 to 18.2 million in 2021. Now, as we know, CSB gets the entirety of their commercial rights and revenues. So imagine what could be had for both the men's and the women's game, as well as youth soccer and all other aspects of soccer in this country, if the CSA even had a chunk of that $18 million. Because after that, you've got FIFA and CONCACAF grants for about four or so million dollars. You've got government grants for just under five million. Player fees account for about five million. This is all in 2021, by the way. And then you just have at least three times the amount, the commercial side of it, which was always going to be the biggest revenue driver. So yeah, it's very hard to justify, I think, to the women of, hey, here's how you're kind of getting something out of this. Because now, due to the fact that we now have back-to-back -back World Cup years for the first time ever, let's be real here, you now have to be a little more stringent with the finances because you don't really have all the money to be able to give both the men and the women what they want. So now one side has to suffer, and unfortunately, it looks to be the women. Yeah, and it continues to make no sense that when this whole, you know, the the the, the men's league was launched, that there was no women's league. No. At least in accordance, and you can, again, make, continue to make the argument it would have made more sense to launch the women's game in terms of, you know, where the sport is at and what the, the gap that exists in this country. And, you know, you look, uh, it makes sense why they want to launch a men's game if you want to need one for the bid in 2026 but it, that that you know is understandable but it just makes no sense that in 2015 they hosted what was at the time a relatively quite successful world cup here in canada yet that tournament did not lead to any sort of women's league and you know that also i guess falls on fifa to an extent but i just find that just those contrasts to me are just wild that that, that they don't link and that there's no that, no correlation to that so yeah it must be tough for from the women's perspective because you know at the very least if you're looking at this deal the fact that there is a men's professional environment uh is, has helped the game a lot as we've seen over four years and at least that's going to create a pipeline hopefully for the long term if things accelerate but then you look like uh, you look at it, why this can't exist for the women and why it's been such a hurdle and such a headache to try and get the league started there that required the two of its own players form one former one 
current and then the, the rest of its member associations, obviously that being Project 8 Sports, just to get these sort of proposals up and running. It shows just, yeah, from the women's perspective, how frustrating this, this must all be, especially when you, you bring it to the financial considerations that Peter brought up. And we'll get into Project 8 Sports as well, but it's important to remember that Project 8 Sports and the new Women's League that's coming in 2025 isn't actually a part of CSB. And there's going to be involvement with Canada Soccer. It does have to get licensing if it wants to be FIFA recognized. And so you're going to have involvement from the Federation. You're going to have involvement from Bria Carr-Harris as well, Mm -hmm. who has shown some ability to work with Project 8 Sports, but not necessarily to the level that a lot of people would have hoped And so it's going to be interesting to see in the future just how you have something that's not a CSB property start to get developed to help the women's game in Canada when CSB has continuously said that they're working on women's league. But as we continuously see, it's not necessarily moving too quickly. But what caught me by surprise was the financial numbers that various members of the women's national team shared earlier today. And when you look at 2021, the year that the Canadian women's national team stood atop the podium at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, well, the men got over $11 million that year, and five, just over $5 million went to the women's programs. Look, I'm trying to play devil's advocate here as best as I can, because I don't claim to be a financial expert here, but consider how many games the men had to play in qualifying, the places they had to travel to. No one travels commercial really anymore as well. All that adds up, right? And then on the flip side, you're like, well... Flights to Japan and funding the Olympic run isn't necessarily cheap either. Um, but on, I, I believe, and I'm not sure, Ben, you might be able to answer this. I do think that the government does have more of a hand to play when it comes to the Canadian athletes and subsidizing them in a way. Even though Canada soccer is still going to the event, I do think the government, based on what I've read, still has a pretty big say in terms of the funding but i'm not so sure about that so maybe that's why there is such a discrepancy that's the only thing i can really think of but it's not a good look to see that for sure and another thing too maybe canada soccer will do this in the future they really should provide more notes or more detail in their financial reports just for transparency purposes and just to clear up some confusion because the way it's listed you can take that any which way you want and that's through no fault of us, that's through no fault of the players, through no fault of anybody else who, who isn't a financial expert or doesn't know the inner workings within the Federation, but it really would help to go a long way. And one of the many things that they could do to probably improve some transparency. And there's a lot of funding for the Olympics that does come through various high-performance sport programs in Canada, whether that's the Canadian Olympic Committee, which of course wouldn't be involved in the Canadian soccer financial reports, mm-hmm. uh, or own the podium programs as well. There's funding that goes to Canada soccer and developing Canadian soccer, specifically Canadian women's soccer uh, from own the podium, Canada's high performance sport program. The question is where does that money necessarily go? Because clearly it's not been seen by the women's players or a a lot of the women's programs because there is significant funding they get. If you don't know what own the podium is, it's a program that was brought in just before the 2010 Olympics that was meant to target sports where Canada has a chance of winning medals at the Olympics. So a sport like ski jumping, which won a medal at the Beijing 2022 Olympics, doesn't get on the podium funding because the potential isn't there. But with right. Canadian women's soccer, it's shown that there's potential. Or and, hockey. Or hockey. They've shown that there's potential to win Olympic medals there. So they get on the podium funding and that's not necessarily seen by Canada soccer or the women's yeah. national team. Yeah. And, and I think that's also, again, another big topic here is where is all this money going, right? Like we can say, all right, well, the funding from on the podium was used to help fund the Olympic run and to help fund the women's team for the majority of 2021. Fair enough. 
But then where is that written down in the statement? Where is that money actually being dedicated towards? How is it being allocated? All those things. And that's why I think the men's and women's players are so frustrated is that, look, all we want to know is where is the money going? Like if it happens to be going to the CSB deal, all right, fine, we'll be maybe pissed off at first, but at least we now know where it's going to, how much they're getting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That seems to be really the biggest thing. Because remember Atiba Hutchinson in Vancouver when he spoke to us, Alex, um, Ben, you were there as well, I believe. And he said that really it's more big picture when he was asked, hey, is this about the FIFA World Cup windfalls and the how it's divided or is this more big picture stuff? And he pretty much flat out said, yeah, it's big picture stuff for us. And transparency would be one of those and where the money's going would probably be one of those. Yeah, I mean, I'm no financial expert, but reading some of those reports, it does feel like it would be nice to at least have some sort of breakdown uh, you know, I've, I've read different financial reports in the past where you do see more of a detailed organization. This isn't soccer related, just you know, one uh, reading financial reports as one does. But yeah, you look on the women's side, for example, in 2021, for a lot of camps, a lot of the women's players uh, had to fly commercial, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. That was something that was thrown out there, obviously, with, with the men's and their qualifying run, some of the countries they went to. Um, they were flying a charter. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, it would be nice to see that written out. Travel yes. expenses, plane expenses, hotel expenses, because uh, obviously it depends where, where, where you're going in terms of Let that. Let me just check because I do think that they do have travel expenses listed, but I don't think they go into specific detail in terms of how it's actually allocated. Um, as I look here. So they have administration and meetings, competitions, 2026 World Cup, staging, marketing, communications technical and development projects, other teams and sporting equipment, and then it's just men's teams and women's teams. So no, I maybe, maybe they don't. But again, we're only looking at part of the statement here. I'll do my best to try and find it. But from what I've seen right now, they don't actually list individually what the travel costs are, what the hotel costs are, et cetera. I feel like, that, again, that would be important because if we're looking at some you know, transparency and that sort of uh, you know stuff financially, you know, the money's there. You can't hide and lie from the money. So if anything, it would be in their best interest to show where this money is going. And I think, again, that's what the players want. That's what the fans want. Uh, you know, that's what anyone involved in this uh, would want. I think that's kind of the, been the big word of the day, transparency. And again, when it extends certainly to uh, the financial implications of all this. And we'll get to a question from Rain City FC at Ken MNT Armada. It seems as long as the deal between the Canadian Soccer Business and Canadian Soccer Association exists, funding or lack thereof will be an issue. There are rumors that the CSB had not lived up to their obligations during the pandemic and had reduced payments to the CSA with one former board member suggesting. Now, what would be your response to that given that there seemed to be an opportunity for the CSA to get out of this deal? See, I... I obviously don't have the contract in front of me, so I can't really say. But remember when MediaPro was dealing with this with Liga, when there was that dispute over unpaid money and whatnot? I think the big difference here is I think the Federation agreed to the cut. And I think it was, I don't know if it was in writing or not, but I think the fact that there was at least some sort of agreement means that they can't actually break the contract. Um, so, again, I remember we discussed this. In June, because someone had asked, "Hey, is there actually a way to to break the deal if there was unpaid money during the pandemic?" And I remember reading over some stuff and and thinking, "Oh no, there's probably no way that they could actually get out of this legally, at least." So I did look at the financial report for Canada Soccer. They don't have any details listed in terms of travel, accommodation, all that. But I looked at U.S. Soccer's as a comparison for 2021. They had listed under functional expenses and national teams. 
They have the following, salaries and wages, employee benefits, payroll taxes, professional services, advertising and promotions, office supplies. Office supplies mm -hmm. are in there. Occupancy, information technology, so IT obviously. Travel, conferences, conventions and meetings, depreciation and amortization, insurance, equipment and maintenance, professional referee organization, sponsorships, and then other. So they had that all broken down based on the programs, management in general, and then total money paid in each of those categories. Whereas Canada Soccer, I believe theirs was only about five or six individual items, and it only covered the men's and women's national teams, other expenses was in there, commercial expenses were in there, etc., etc. Nowhere near as detailed as U.S. Soccer's. And from MC at MCoffee11, Bontis will get the blame, and rightfully so, but should the blame also be put on Steve Reed and Victor Montagliani? Doesn't yeah. help that this is that this position is voluntary and not full time either. Look, Bontis is getting. I feel at least towards the Canada Soccer side of things, the majority, if not all, of the pushback. Right, as I said in June, as I said in July, as I've said many, many, many times now, we have to look at Victor Montaliani and all this. He's the one who had that lunch with Scott Mitchell who discussed the formation of CSB, who probably in some way, and I'm, I'm speculating here, but must have had a hand in terms of this deal coming to fruition. And sure, no one was ponying up the cash for Canadian soccer at this time, and Canada soccer needed some sort of cash injection. But anybody with foresight, you feel, even at that time, because Alfonso Davies was going to Bayern Munich, you had the CPL coming, you knew this, Players were slowly but surely coming into MLS out of college like Tejon Buchanan, like Alistair Johnston, Kamal Miller, etc., etc., etc. So you could see that there was at least a foundation being laid at that time, right? And then women's players were going overseas despite there being no domestic league in Canada. And their success was continuing and continuing. So you could see that at the very least, Canadian soccer was on the right path. They just needed that one eureka breakthrough moment. And it came last March against Jamaica when they officially qualified for the World Cup. You can even argue before that during the qualifying run because it looked like they were probably going to at least get there, right? And the fact that that deal was signed the way it was and that no one is talking about the actual start of this, all the formation of it, and why, as we touched off off the top, why the men's side of it was leaned on so much more than the women's side of it that's the question you have to ask. And Montaliani plays a hand in that because he was responsible in a way for CSB coming to fruition and for the CPL becoming what it is. We have to thank CSB in a way for the CPL's formation because without them, there'd be no CPL. We have to thank Victor Montaliani who pushed through it, but we also have to look at it critically and say, all right, should there be fault here? And you have to say there probably should be. Well, that's it. If you're looking at Victor Montaliani, this is someone that it was very single-minded in the pursuit of that, you know, getting that 2026 bid for, for, for Canada. And then, of course, the, the league that accompanies it. But he was also around when, uh, as mentioned earlier, the, the, the women's the lack of women's league and also the 2015 uh, Women's World Cup. So, yeah, again, you look at some of the origins of all this, you know, lack of women's league. The, the men's league, the, the CSB, and where that all kind of lines up together, it does indeed start with, with Victor Montagliani. And again, what's happening now is just a continuation of, of all that that's happened and mm -hmm. where it's led to at this present moment. And the reason why they were so invested, pardon the pun here, in the men's game is it does generate more money. Sadly, it does. FIFA pays out more windfalls for the Men's World Cup and the Women's World Cup. They pay out more money in the men's game than the women's game because that's where it is. So the Federation clearly thought, all right, 
we're strapped for cash. We need the men's team to actually do something here. And that's fair enough. They did need to do something financially or otherwise. But to then just completely ignore the women's side of it and the marketing potential that they could have had, as I've constantly touched on, guys, the, the U.S. women's team is one of the most marketable national teams, men or women in the world. And that's not by accident. Especially as again, as we see in soccer, a sport that, as we you know, is very has been very behind on the women's game. I mean, the fact that the first women's World Cup was in '91, the first men's World Cup in 1930. We're talking about 60 years of uh, systematic just inequality and, and ground to make up. You know, it's no shock that all of a sudden the women's game is starting to explode with all the investment, all the time, all the money that's being put into it. You see in Europe, you see in the U.S., you see all over. Uh, is you know again it's you, you look at what Canada's done it lacks foresight to have not invested in the women's game more women women's league and the players uh, because yeah you see what's going on in Europe you see what's going on now it, it's one where you know yeah they may be invested in the men based on the systemic systemic inequalities that existed but on the flip side they also could have looked around and see that pe- you know countries that are doing a good job of closing those inequalities have tended. Uh, to, to, to be rewarded for yeah. that that foresight and that sort of vision and investment. 100%. And look, here's the counter argument to that, which I'm now going to try and debunk. It's, oh, you have to spend all that money, take the losses in order to, to ha- even see any little bit of growth and who knows when that growth is going to come. Okay, fair enough. Look at Mexico, look at most of South America, look at Europe, parts of Asia, and now Africa as well. Yes, they had to invest a lot of money with no real sizable return into the women's game. And in some cases, it was actually by law they had to do this. And by the way, in Canada, they have to, by law, offer dollar for dollar the same amount to the men's and women's team whenever they come to a collective bargaining agreement. But you're now seeing the rewards being reaped in Mexico, in Colombia, in even my beloved Peru. You're starting to see a little bit of growth in the women's game there because they put the investment and time into it. The fans are showing up in vast numbers. They're willing to pay their hard-earned money to support the women's game. And look, you have to put some sort of cash into it and expect a loss at first, but you also have to be devoted to it, right? And I don't think Canada soccer, Canadian soccer in general, they can say that they are, right? But you also have to show it because actions speak louder than words, right? And of course, the Canadian women's national team finishing their statement with, if Canada soccer is not willing or able to support our team, new leadership should be found. And that's the impetus of Connor Johnston's question. When would the best time in terms of administration turnover be right for Bontis and his co-workers to resign? And is it even a good idea to leave the CSA with zero structure going into a big year like 2023? See, that's just it. Like, you cut off your nose to spite your face in this situation if you do that. Um, This is probably the most difficult thing because I feel like no matter who comes in, you're going to deal with the same issues. We know that the Federation is strapped for cash for all the reasons we stated here. I don't know if anybody can honestly come in and do a better job, but but can they come in and do a better job? I'm not so sure. That's the thing. I don't think changing leadership, um, unless the players just full on strike and say, listen, like change has to happen, then obviously you have to make a leadership change. You have no choice. But are we really going to see any difference if Bontis goes and maybe the board stays the same or what have you? I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's one where you look at the circumstances. 
it would probably make sense for all parties for something like that to occur. But then it's a matter of, okay, who do you, how are you going to go about reelecting, you know, the board, uh, the new president that comes in? But it is one where if things continue, because it's been multiple times, you do wonder if it's only a matter of time before we see a potential resignation and then you know something just because at, at this point it is also a time where you, you look and may, you know maybe it's just time for a fresh start of some sorts yeah the same issues will remain but you know that that fresh start could also be uh, what's needed to, to to just attack this with a fresh mind and, and go about it differently and another question from slat at Monyahad: maybe it's time for each gender to have their own federation equally funded by the government but all forms of revenue on their own now it's not really been seen around the world but it's an idea yeah and you do have some federations who have sporting directors for each program right and you're kind of starting to see that in canada soccer now because they just hired a head of women's soccer maybe they could have someone only devoted to the men's side of it and then you maybe don't have these constant gripes all the time i don't know but it's not a it, it's honestly a, a pretty decent idea it would probably help at the very least organizationally and of course, the Canadian men's national team in their statement also saying a bit of a divisive statement, saying that the CPL, which is of course operated by the people who run Canadian soccer business, is made up of minor league professional soccer teams. Now, of course, in the men's national team, you have Lucas McNaughton, you have Joel Waterman who came through the CPL, you have mm -hmm. a guy like Sam Adekubi who probably could have benefited from the CPL had it been around at the time. Many players could have. And that's really the focus of a lot of the questions that we're getting is just how do you react to these statements from the men's national Yeah, team? see, you can feel any sort of way you want about how you're being treated. That's totally fair enough. Listen, the men's players do have a leg to stand on. They're also not entirely blameless, as are pretty much most of the parties in this whole mess. But to then take unnecessary pot shots at a crucial part of Canadian soccer's development is at the very least misguided and at most just completely moronic from the players to do. Because let's be real here. Kamal Miller, Alistair Johnston, and many, many, many other men's national team players probably would not be where they are without supposed quote-unquote minor league soccer, right? In League One Ontario, semi-professional. Say what you will about you know, Whitecaps FC2, but that's where Alfonso Davies got his start. Does he become the player he is without those few months of, of honing in Whitecaps FC2? Probably not, right? So the, the fact that the CPL exists is massive for the sport in this country. Hopefully we get the same on the women's side because that's also going to be massive for the development of the sport in this country. But we would not have a Men's World Cup if it wasn't for the CPL. We would not have another pipeline and a crucial part of the pipeline if it wasn't for the CPL. To, to take a shot at it is really dumb because I feel like had they not done that, a lot of people would have been on the men's player's side of this. Certainly as many as they are on the women's side. Look, I think it's one where maybe they, you know, it's one where the minor league thing has been taken a bit out of context, I will say. Like, I do think it's reading through it feels more like a shot at the owners, more of a shot at the yeah, CSB, which is fair. fair. Yes. But it's also one where, yes, it, it, I agree. It's one where... It is just a you bit of an. You have to choose your words carefully. It's you know? just a bit of an unnecessary yes. plot shot at the you know at the end of the day because it's one where you know the point is understood, but it, we talk about wanting to pull in the same direction, wanting to to at See, least perfect example right there. You, you want you want to have everything you know it, people working together for the same goal for soccer. It is one where you want to elevate what's going on and really amplify the situation without 
taking and, you know, bringing down and dragging down, you know, other parts of the Canadian soccer ecosystem. So that's one where, yeah, the wording on that wasn't great. I and mean, especially no. people you pick up on that. Uh, so it, they could have gone around it better from what I read. It looks, yeah, it looks a lot like, you know, lawyer speak, lawyer puts that in and hundred percent. Yeah. Go. And just have no understanding whatsoever of, of that side of it, which is honestly probably part of the reason why we're in this mess. And I mean, when you've looked at the statements from the past, or they've been from the women's national team or the men's national team or Canada soccer, it does seem at points that the men's national team statements do need to sort of coach the language a little bit sometimes, or maybe take a bit of a closer look at necessarily what they're putting out there, because some of it can seem a little unhinged at times, but I think the message is there and the movements that the men's national team wants to do are there, but sometimes the language can come across a little bit off as I think it probably did tonight with their comment about the CPL. But that's a question from Felipe Vallejo. How do you resolve the issues surrounding CSB and the national teams without negatively impacting the CPL and all the hard work that has gone into that as well? Is it even possible? See, that's the golden question. I, I mean, the easy question uh, it would, would be to say to you get CSB, you get CSA, you get CanMNT reps, you get CanWNT reps all at a table. I don't know if it's as simple as starting it there and at least, you know, clearing the air, getting numbers out, getting financials out, getting that details start. And, and just going from there. Because in reality, the, there, there's two routes out of this. It's, you know, you look at what's going on now and you fill gaps. So that's, mm -hmm. you know, creating the likes of women's leagues. You, you fill in, you know, re, you know, revenue holes that are there and, you you, you know, you, you fix some of these holes that exist in terms of lack of marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Or there's the scorched earth approach. You tear everything down and you start anew. And that was what I was going to say. Honestly, the, the, There's benefits and, you know, and, and negative aspects to both because, you know, you, you tear down everything and start anew. Even if the structure isn't faulty, a structure is a structure. It is hard to build a structure uh, from the ground up. But then again, you have a chance to start anew. You get a chance to clear all your mistakes, such as not having a women's league such as, you know, financial disreferences, lack of money, uh, you know, you, guess you get a chance to start fresh. But then on the other side of it, if you do go to fill those holes, you do have a chance to build off of the existing infrastructure, which, you know, for all of its faults, there are still, again, as we mentioned, there's positive aspects in the sense that, you know, the, the, the creation of the Men's Domestic League shows that there could be a path for a successful Women's League if things are done correctly mm -hmm. and et cetera. So it, it's one of those, right? It's one of those two approaches. I would be very surprised to see the scorched earth approach just because we don't see that very often. I think it's one that most people would likely want to see and understandably so. So I think it's going to be more of, okay, let's, let's fill in some of those holes. But I'd say either way, if you're going to get to either of those points, it starts with everyone sitting down at a, you know, at a table and clearing out some of the air because it's the one thing with this, all these statements uh, that we've gotten in June, we got it over the summer, we get now, it's a lot, it just feels like we're getting statements from all these sides that, you know, it's, it almost becomes like a, you know, the, the metaphor doesn't feel fully right, but it's almost like a bit of broken telephone. It's one side is putting out what they want to say through statements and then another side through statements and then a third side getting in it. It would be nice to just have them all face to face, clear out the air. Maybe it's a five to 10 day, just closed door environment where you're getting this all hashed out uh, just because, yeah, when it comes out over the statements, you know, it, it just feels a bit distanced from the whole, the, the whole crux of everything. And it's not surprising, but both national teams have used fixtures and tournaments as their focus and their leverage in these negotiations. And Christine Sinclair earlier today said to TSN, 
As a team, we have decided to take job action, and from this moment, we will not be participating in any Canadian Soccer Association activities until this is resolved. And that includes training sessions, and that includes this She Believes Cup, which is coming up in literally six days from yeah. when we're recording. Yeah, I'm in a crucial part of, of the World Cup cycle, really, because they, they need to test out some things. they got to get ready for that tournament and, and you know, figure out maybe some lingering tactical questions, all those things that go into it, right? And the, the fact that this is now looming already is just a disaster. Um, and, like, it, it really is, honestly... It could maybe be a blessing in disguise in that maybe this is what needed to happen to actually invoke real change. You make a small sacrifice now for the betterment of the future. Maybe. I'm trying to look at this glass half full right now because it's really not looking good, is it? Well, what I'd say about that is Christine St. Clair has played the ultimate negotiation slash trump card because that Mm -hmm. is your... You know, you're, 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 you know, to, to, to use a, a term to use in other sports, that's your franchise if you're Canada soccer. That's your mm-hmm. all time international goal scorer. That's mm-hmm. someone that everyone knows. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the most famous athletes in this country, uh, an athlete that everyone knows, saying that she cannot represent her country as things stand. She cannot play for this federation, it was her words uh, on TSN Sports Center tonight, as it stands. I mean that's something. If you're if you're Canada soccer, it's not a matter of okay, this is some bit rate player speaking out. We just replace them and pretend this never happens. No, this is someone with an incredible amount of clout. Someone that people will listen to. Will you know? And, and obviously, the her, her team has supported her. They're all obviously taking the same stance uh, in that regard. So it is one uh, where where when Sinclair did pull that out, that changes everything. And it's you know you look at the timing, it makes a lot of sense. Who are they slated to play in six days? The U.S., a team that has supported a lot of them. I remember last year at the CONCACAF Championships, Becky Sauerbund was was asked about it. And she right. said that she would support wholeheartedly all of the efforts that her Canadian counterparts make. She's the captain of the U.S., so obviously had a big role in the equal pay uh, settlement that went on in the U.S. an agreement. Uh, so they're obviously very they've made statements tonight. I think Megan Rapinoe amongst yep. others made statements that supporting Canada for what they uh, You know their their statements and what they did so it's one where if they, they don't play the US You know the US is gonna be full in support of it. It's, it, it You look at the timing of that the marquee games the fact that Canada would be missing out on playing the number one ranked team in the world Which for talking World Cup prep yep. and isolation is a huge yeah. loss to miss out on that game it, it feels like the women have laid out a very simple thing like you have six days to fix this and buy the, the, the trump card of those things that they used, like that's ultimate negotiation tactic. Mm-hmm. And they're miss- missing training sessions right now as well. But one of the big things that they will also be missing is there's not going to be any home friendlies ahead of the Women's World Cup. And from W Soccer CA, in a World Cup year, how much of a setback would not competing in the She Believes Cup be as well as not having these home friendlies, <laughs> which initially looked like they would have? Yeah, and... Pardon me here while I pull up the tweet, but John Molinaro tweeted that, and and I think this was actually reported towards the end of 2022 anyways, but um, Bev Priestman was talking about friendlies at home in April, right? And the fact that that's now being taken away after, according to John Molinaro, because a source told him that um, since... Priestman first talked about it. The CSA had meetings with both Herdman and Priestman. This was in January and told them their respective budgets would be cut. And this is clearly part of it. And it goes back, guys, to what we said post, well, literally right as it was happening, the John Herdman New Zealand report. 
if the Federation continues to struggle financially, if it can't provide either coach what it needs to keep building their programs up, they're both going to eventually get disgruntled and leave and entertain any serious offers they might get. Because slowly but surely, we're getting to that point with John Herman, right? It started with the England links last year. And it's now gotten to the New Zealand links where he obviously has a very strong emotional and, and you know, just strong emotional connection to, right? And maybe in another few months or a year or two years, whenever it is, he's going to get an even stronger link somewhere else. And then maybe at that point, he's like, you know what? Nothing's really changed for the good here. I got to pack up and leave. I'm sorry. As much as it, it pains me to do, I have to do it because nothing clearly is going to change. And I just can't work in this environment. And that's totally fair enough. Well, it's one thing where uh, if, if you're the players, it can be a blessing. And then for uh, for the CSA, uh, it, it's a curse because I guess they're the ones who hired them. John Herdman and Bev Priestman are very s- strong in solidarity. You know, they've they've shown solidarity with their players. This isn't going to be a situation where you've seen it with other federations around the world. Like we're seeing it right now, unfortunately, with Spain on the women's mm-hmm. side, where the players, you know, they're going through their dispute over in Spain. They just cut, they just cut all the oh. their star players. Yeah. They're not bringing in all their star players. So the thing is with Bev Priestman and John Herman, they won't you know go to anything like that. They are in support of the players, and that's something as well where you know you know you can't get out of this if you're on the C, you know this from the CSA's perspective. They can't get out of this by just saying oh get rid of the players and try to silence this. Their coaches are very much in support, and these are two very good you know coaches that you won't want to lose he's a you know guy john herman on the men's side who's been around the country for over a decade he's very invested and has pushed the men's team forward you look at in the women's side with bev priestman a very shrewd hire someone that's won you an olympic gold medal and will be in demand should she want to you know ever leave that you know those are coaches that you can't go and get rid of just because who you're going to replace it with so from the csa's perspective uh, again, the, the the fact that the coaches are you know have shown this solidarity with the the players, it's huge from the player side uh, because again that gives them more leverage uh, in that regard. And to answer just W Soccer CA's question from the beginning as well, uh, the, the the lack of games thing was also one yeah. of the biggest things from the yeah. the statement. Just because again you're in a World Cup, you're it's your chance to drum up interest. You saw it even a bit with the men's because they didn't play a game from June onwards. And that That's did right. also halt a bit of momentum heading into their World it Cup. It did. Look, look at what happened at the World Cup, right? Yeah, they didn't yeah. have any top-tier games, and they kind of suffered for it. And they didn't have any games at home, so it kind of nope. hurt the momentum. It felt like between September and before the World Cup started, it was like it was so dead. Obviously, when we saw the World Cup started, that changes everything. But you do, if you're a smart business, you want to capitalize on momentum whenever Absolutely. you can. Yeah. You talk about needing revenue, hosting some games at some sold-out stadiums. Sure wouldn't hurt in terms of merchandising, in terms of ticket sales, in terms of all that. It is baffling on, on, on that sense. It's just baffling because you don't get your chance to show your fans your players this is a team that if canada goes and wins the world cup this year and they actually don't play any games at home they will have won a world cup without playing in their home country since june of 2022 like over 12 months or it would have been over 14 months by the time they if they went out and won a world cup like you can't be having those sort of things happen if you want to be a you know a top rate federation a top rate uh you know soccer country And that's pretty much all we've got for episode 108, the emergency podcast episode of the Northern Football Podcast. Currently, the Canadian Women's National Team on strike. Who knows whether they'll be playing in the She Believes Cup. Canada soccer officials heading down to Orlando, Florida to negotiate with the Women's National Team 
and we'll see exactly where that goes. But for episode 108 of the Northern Football Podcast, he's been Peter Galindo, he's been Alex Gongi-Ruzik, I've been Ben Steiner. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back for episode 109.